This episode is brought to you by my go-to meal prep company, Flex Pro Meals. I love Flex Pro because it tastes great, first and foremost, but also the ordering page makes it easy and has all the macro and nutritional info listed out for you for every single meal. There are 35 macro-balanced options starting at just $4.19, and they have next-day delivery to all 50 U.S. states. High-protein, low-carb, keto, gluten-free, you name it, they got it. You can use code CPRICE for 40% off your first order for a limited time. That's 40%. That's huge. So check them out, Flex Pro Meals. Welcome visionaries, dreamers, and trailblazers to the Casually Ambitious Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Price, and I am thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Here, we dive deep into the realms of wellness, entrepreneurship, and mindset. Let's build a life we love while loving the life we live. The adventure to a more mindful, purposeful, and casually ambitious life starts now. Parker Stinson, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a really, really exciting episode. And I want to speak to kind of the, the audience that has been kind of tagging along with Casually Ambitious the last couple of weeks has been more and more into the running crowd. And that's why I wanted to reach out to Parker, who is a phenomenal runner. I mean, I, I could go down the list of this guy's accolades, but he's run a 210 marathon. So I could kind of just leave it at that. 210-53 marathon, um, former, uh, former runner at Oregon University, American record holder at the 25K. Some amazing feats, brother. So welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I'm excited. Uh, we were talking a little bit offline that, uh, you know, this might be an opportunity to reach some new people for you to ask some kind of different questions. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of podcasts, but, you know, I just did one a few weeks ago and they're so fun. And um, you guys as hosts are amazing. You come up with really thoughtful things to ask. And um, a lot of times I leave a podcast and I'm like, I feel like I learned things about myself. So I can't wait to talk to you. That's rad. I hope I can live up to the expectation. I'm going to go ahead and start and hopefully my questions kind of unearth a little bit of your come up and your background rather than just having you spitball that. But I'd love to start and ask you, you know, when did you start running and when did you realize like you were special? You were a little bit different than anybody else. You had a little bit more potential, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, I probably noticed a few things that showed that, but so yeah, growing, I mean, I was like 10 or 11. I loved, I lived on this amazing cul-de-sac, like old school, dude, you went out, you told your parents you're going out and like, just be back by, by dark. Like it was special. Um, I sound so old saying that, but like we got into everything. It was like, we would play pickup baseball. We would play hockey. We would go, we would ride our bikes to this area where there were like jumps, you know, we try to do like bike jumps, things like that. And so I was pretty athletic. I found out pretty early. Um, I was just good at anything I wanted to be good at for the most part. It, that was just part of my, my life. It was like, oh, if I work hard at this sport and I want to beat somebody, I normally would. So I was playing soccer and hockey at the time. Um, and there was a fun run that went on. And it was something like at our school where it was like, how many laps you did is how much money you raised or whatever it was. And I did that and I just went way farther than everybody. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, but I was still into my other sports. They were fun. And then I had an older sister, uh, four years older, who was pretty good at soccer, and I wanted to be good at soccer. And she was trying to make club soccer with my dad, so they would go out and run every morning. I was like, uh, I want to be with my, my sister and my dad, so I'd go on these runs with them, and they were just jogging along, and you know, I'm four years younger, and uh, I was like, this is so boring. 
that's so easy. So my dad was like, no, you're going to get tired. You're going to get tired. You need to wait. And then every uh, run, they get to a point where it's like, okay, you can finally go. And I would go as hard as I can and try to get home as fast as I could um, to like, so my mom and stuff would see how like, like long I was there before. So I kind of noticed something then, um, but then, to me, but then what happened is um, I just, I joined a track team too. So now I'm doing soccer, hockey and track and yeah, man, I just, something clicked. Like I, I was obsessed with this idea. I couldn't believe it that the more you put into running and if you didn't give up and you worked hard, you got what you wanted. And I was like, it, it can't be that simple, you know? And we know as we get older, it's a little more complicated, but when you're a, a beginning runner, it's so addictive because the more work you put in, the better you're going to get. And yeah, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I was working out with guys that were 14 years old, 15 years old. And I would, they would, they would finally tap out. I was like, no, I want to do one more interval, one more interval. And so I started noticing it then. And then when I would race, I got second in the nation. I almost won the whole thing as a 12 year old. Um, and, uh, even, even the guy that beat me, dude, he was like, I mean, he looks like how I look now. I mean, he was a man child. So it was pretty obvious that, and I, I wasn't at all. And it was pretty obvious that I was, uh, special at what I was doing. And then I quit all the other sports when all in at running at 12 years old, I was a psychopath. Uh, and basically the two things that showed I was special was results in how I always craved to do what one more thing, one more interval or like get up earlier than somebody. I just, I just loved that feeling of working harder than anybody else. Yeah. I love that. I love what you said about running being so direct. Like you can see yourself getting faster, relatively easy compared to other sports. I mean, other sports you have, you know, things like batting average and and these other things that are harder to track. Whereas running, it's like you can go out, and the next day go out again and you run a little bit faster and then you run a little bit faster. And for me, I think that's the biggest thing when I first started, you know, when you first start and you probably don't know this, but most normal people who aren't as fast as you probably know this, like two, three miles is just really fucking hard when you first get started. Like you're yep. not acclimated to breathing heavy. You get red faced. You just want it to be over. Um, but for me, like once I broke through that initial threshold of yes. just the suck and started yes. getting a little bit faster, bit by bit, even if it was like 30 seconds, that's when I got that addiction, man. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that moment ever happened for no, you. I do. No, no, I'm excited. I'm excited you brought this up because look, when you guys watch me, watch me or other people, you see our running form, you see how easy it comes to us, whatever. Right. And you go, man, I'm inspired by them, but I'm not them. I'm not a runner. You know, running's not for me. And I love this because people, you know, I've had two surgeries. I missed running for six months. Iris running for, uh, running for eight months. And yes, when I'm dialed in and I'm going for something big, I'm running 100 mile weeks. I'm fit. I'm so fit. My body can, is so dialed that, yeah, you're right, man. I'm running 20 miles a day. I come back and I'm doing another workout. No problem. But, you know, if I, if I take a month off, six weeks off and no one's going to believe me, but running five miles, dude, my calves are blown out. It is hard. And like when I always tell people that think they're not runners, dude, I don't think I, it sucks for me the first two weeks back after breaking an American record. If I take a long enough time off, it's, I swear to God. And so if, if you can push through, like you just said the first two weeks and don't run every day, whatever, run every other day. Um, and then whatever, I promise you, you will, you will become a runner. You will surprise yourself. But it, you're right. The barrier to entry with running is really hard. 
it's super painful. And then you see other people, how easily it comes to them because they're, they're fit that you go, yeah, you know what? I just don't think this is for me, but I think if everyone would give it right around two weeks, I think they would be surprised at um, how good they start to feel on their easy runs. So I love that you brought that up because it bothers me when people don't think they're runners because I think a lot of people are. I agree, man. And my, I, I finally, finally got my wife to sign up for a race. So she's got a half coming up. So I've got to see that process from ground zero to now she's running like 18, 19, 20 miles a week. And she's just Whoa. blowing herself out of the water, like with the distance that she's putting on. But it's just getting over that initial hump, man. And that initial suck of sucking wind and being so red faced. So it's cool to hear it from your perspective too, because it's not just limited to the average runner, average individual, like it's, it's universal. No, running is hard, bro. <laughs> it's it really is. hard. And you know what? It's like other sports, you know, talent can take you there. Or you're like really whatever, I guess. But if you cheat running, you're just going to cheat yourself. Like if you, if you don't show up and get in those, those miles a little bit, you know, it's, it, you're going to, it's going to show up, you know, but that's, what's also cool on the other end is like, if you stay true, you know, as you get older, it's harder, it's harder. You do, you do not always get the race you deserve, but if you, if you work hard and you show up and, and do what your coach or whatever tells you, it, it's also going to show up. You're probably going to, you're probably going to run well. So, um, that's the beautiful part about running compared to team sports. You know, you can't control what all your teammates are doing. You can't control, um, that, but in running it's on you and you can control what you, your decisions. And that's, what's so great about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you identified really early on that you were talented, that you were special, that you were different. Did your parents push you to be the best athlete you could be? Like, you know, we've heard stories think about like, the Williams sisters, for example, we've all seen that film of their dad who was like constantly pushing them, getting them on the courts and that sort of thing. Were they the instigators to you becoming a better athlete or was it more, Hey Parker, you love this, like go and go and do that. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think they're pretty special. My mom was just supportive and, um, you know, good as we've talked, as I've gotten older, she, she, she found it really hard because, and this wasn't because of my dad or me, this was just how I was even before running, man, I was just like this with everything in life. My mom found it really hard because she felt like I was so hard on myself and I never really um, enjoyed the things that, that I was accomplishing. And it was hard on myself on any, dude, I just like, even as a kid, you know, before, it was just how I was wired. You know, I was just so intense. So my mom struggled with that. Uh, my dad was my coach until I went to high school and he was really special because he was really all in and, an intense coach and he coached all the kids on our team. But as soon as I went to high school, he never, he never questioned any, he never got in my head about questioning what the coaches were doing. Um, he let go and just was a, a supporter. And um, I feel like that's really rare, but the big thing is my dad, they just supported me. Um, my dad was really invested when he needed to be. And then he let go. And I was really lucky that I had really great coaches um, and things like that. But I think most of the, the motivation came from me, came really deep inside. And I think that's why, um, you know, I, I'm almost 32 and at every level I was really good. And a lot of people said I was training too hard and that I wouldn't be good at the next level. And, you know, I've looked back and tried to figure out how I haven't burned out and how I am still getting better because truly I felt like I gave my all when I was 12. I felt like I gave my all in high school, like 
I don't think I could have trained harder. So I feel very lucky that I am still doing it. Um, and I think I just had this huge why. I always had this huge why as a little kid. Um, and it was just that, I don't know, I just wanted to do something great. I've kind of felt like um, this pull that I was supposed to do something great. And I think, you know, it sounds like a bit narcissistic and weird and stuff like that. Um, so I'm trying to not sound like that, but it's just how my brain and my heart felt. Like I felt like I was made to do something with this. That's how I felt. Yeah. doesn't sound weird at all, man. I'm, I'm somebody who has the, the same type drive. Like I remember, you know, my dad's not a huge part of my life now, but I remember there was one time and he just sat me down and said like, son, there's greatness inside of you. And that's like a huge motivator for me. Every time I go out, I'm like, there's greatness inside of me. Like, I know that there's a bigger thing at play here that I need to go after. And it's so cool to hear you talk about that. I think having a why so young is very, very rare. And and I want you to speak to that a little bit. And like, what was it that was driving you early on? You just wanted to be the best or was it, you know, was it something internal? Was it external rewards? What was pushing you early on to go into that mindset? You know, thinking about it now, some of it might have been, um, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it because it was very, it, it was very like male, male focused. It almost seemed like some kind of like unresolved, um, like dad issues or something to a degree because when I was a little kid, like all my coaches, so all my coaches were male. My dad was male. I just remember like what motivated me the most was like getting praise from them. And that thing, like I said, when they thought I was done and everyone like gave up and I wanted to hurt again, I could just feel all the respect and feel all the like impressed by them. And that meant to me more than any time. Like what did, what did that time mean to like a kid, you know, like that didn't mean anything to me. Um, and so I don't know how to explain that, but I've never thought about that until now. Um, and like, I didn't get that from like, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like what my mom thought or anything. It was very, like, even my grand, my grandpa, you know? So I felt something with that, um, which is interesting. So this is part of a retirement thing I wrote a few years ago. And I re- I was kind of like, I started off very like clear, decisive and a little and this bit this is cold. when you were contemplating retiring early. Yeah, 100%. Right? Like this was my thing and I still have it. And then I started writing in the retirement thing. I started going positive and saying, well, what did I love so much about running? And what was I grateful for? And it's exactly that. I am so grateful. Now, I don't know what the why was, but my whole life running has been there for me and giving me direction, purpose, and why. And I have seen through middle school, through high school, through college, my best friends and just peers, they don't, they're, they're, they feel they're so alone and like confused and they don't, they don't have something like that. And I always took it for granted. And I've just been, I've just had this support my whole life that running is my why. And I'm so grateful. I never, um, um, had to question like, what am I doing and why, and do I have a purpose? And so running has given me so much focus and drive my whole life. And I'm so grateful because I've seen how hard it is to navigate, um, life when you're trying to figure things out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll dive into some of the more recent stuff here in a little bit, but I want to finish off kind of the come up story here. So 
you know, you started winning races early on, sounds like 12, 13, 14 years old, you were getting some recognition. Talk to me about the process of, you know, getting recruited, going to literally, you know, the most elite school you probably go to for track and field, Oregon, or the most well-renowned. Um, talk, speak to that process a little bit, what that looked like, and were you like a top recruit in the nation, or what exactly did that look like for you? Yeah, you know, it was cool. I, I went into high school just excited and wanted to, like, make cross-country varsity and get a letterman jacket as early as possible because we're the first fall season. So it was just, like, little things like that. And then I remember one day I was like, well, what does it mean to run in college? What does it take? What does it take to walk on at, like, a program like Oregon or CU? So my dad and I looked stuff up, and we're like, oh, cool. Like, I think I can do that in a little bit. And it's just like, maybe I can run in college. And then as you get better, you know, you change, like goals adjust. And um, I started to get really good. And it was like, oh, well, maybe I can get a scholarship somewhere. I started to get letters in the mail as like a sophomore. I was like, oh, okay. Um, maybe I could get a full ride somewhere. Or maybe I can go to this, whatever. Um, so that happened. But I got really lucky, man. Uh, right before you could start recruiting kids uh, in the summer of their junior year, um, I was good. I was kind of like going back and forth and um, being, I was known in the nation as being a pretty good runner, but um, I really took off right before you could recruit, recruit. And I won the Texas state championship. Woo, let's go baby. Texas forever. I won the biggest division against the best two runners, probably one of the best two runners ever because the, the long story short is the guy I beat for the Texas state title was a senior. I was a junior. He was the best recruit in the country. He won NXN. He won the entire cross-country nationals. Uh, he was the best cross-country runner in the whole country, and he was from Texas. And everyone wanted him, and I'm a year younger. And I outkicked him for the state title by half a second, um, and boom, the rest is history. I mean, they're like, who is this kid? He ran fast. He beat the, he beat the senior that we were dying to have. And then if that wasn't enough, I went on to, right after that, go run a 10,000 on the track at Hayward Field at under 20 um, championships. So I'm going up against college freshmen and things like that. Um, and I never, no one has ever run a 10K on the track in high school. I'd never run one. And yeah, I just uh, made a big move in the middle of the race and uh, pulled away from everybody and ran by myself the last two miles pretty easily. And I won my first national title in front of the Oregon coaches. Um made a U.S. a U.S. team, went on to win three national titles under 20. And uh, yeah, the rest was history. I was, I was the top recruit in the country. Um, depending on your, depending on your gut and, and what you wanted, you know, if you wanted a mile or 800 guy, then that wasn't me. Um, if you wanted a long distance guy, I would say objectively it was me, but other people, you know, people could have opinions and want somebody else. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, I, uh, I got really lucky. I was good. And then I popped off right before recruiting season. And uh, yeah, it was, it changed my life. So yeah. Amazing. Talk to me a little bit about, so you, you did mention that race where you made a move like halfway through the race. And I heard you on another podcast. I think you were like, yeah, the commentator was like, Oh, this kid came out way, way too early with this push. You know, what's he doing? Have you always had like kind of an innate sense when to make moves and, and strategize on these things? Or does it kind of just come to you in the moment? Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh man, that's a tough question. Uh, yeah. So I mean, everything, you're right about everything. Like I do have gut moves. Um, but the problem is in long distance running, you know, you got to be careful with that. Um, a lot of time what your gut 
and in the moment moves are not right, unless maybe they're at the very end of a race, um, especially in the marathon. I mean, dude, you can feel like a million bucks at 18 miles in the marathon. And if you push too much, you're walking by 23. So yes, that's good. But a lot of my racing now is hearing my gut, hearing my instincts in my heart, in my head saying, don't be like a dumbass dude. What are you doing? <laughs> so it's a skill. It's a skill. Patience is so important in the marathon. You know, when you're, especially here's the sad part. When you're fit, you're going to want to make those moves and mistakes even more in the marathon because it's coming so easily to you. So, um, yeah, man, have a plan before a race and try to stick to it. Cause I, you know, sometimes it does work out. I wish I could say, I just made all these great moves out of my gut and they always worked out, but a lot of times they didn't. And I had to, um, you know, look hard at myself and, and grow as an athlete and, and get some tools to, uh, execute races better. Yeah. Yeah. You've been running for like 20 years, uh, which is, you know, crazy. I've been running, I, I ran my first marathon last year. Right. And so I just ran a, a 244 like two months ago. But when I no think way. about, That's awesome. but when I think about running a 210 marathon, I just, it's hard to fathom, man. It's hard to put it into perspective and, and think through it when you're just not an elite athlete, quote unquote. Um, talk to me about running a 210 marathon. Like how much preparation how much strategy goes into it and then how much just sheer will and determination goes into it like we all strategize you know you have coaches you have everybody talking in your ear but at the end of the day you know running's a uh, very selfish sport it's just you you're the one there actually pushing through it and, and making this happen so talk to me about like that specific day um the 210 where was it what was the race and like what was going on in your head at that time yeah um i'll give a little bit a little stuff right before that day, but all I'll say is, you know, what did it take? And, um, it took four, it took three years of failure at the marathon, you know, um, really quick in my debut, I almost won the U S championship. I was out by myself leading the whole race. I was winning by two, three minutes. I was on two eleven pace flat in my debut. I got to mile 23 and I started walking and I went from first place. Wow. I went from first place to in winning probably like $40,000 to um, 31st place wow. running 218 and making $500. And that's the fucking sport right there, dude. You, you're either the best or you're not. Um, and uh, so that was the first one. The second one uh, was a good improvement. I went and ran 214. But once again, every one of these races, dude, I was in 209, 210 shape every time. And I failed and I failed. Um, so I ran 214 and that was fine, but I was in way better shape than that. It was disappointing. And then I changed coaches, I changed training. So a lot went into, a lot of years went into the just the opportunity to seize the moment of running 210, you know? Um, and yeah, the day on 210, I had just broke the American record a few months earlier in the 25K. So, and um, that result said I was capable of like a 208 low marathon. Wow. So I knew I had um, some room to work with. I knew that I didn't need a perfect day to, to get my big goal of breaking sub 211. So that kind of took the edge off a little bit. Um, it's a lot to always demand to be perfect. And unfortunately, that's what running is because we're all like, if you don't run faster than you've ever run before a PB, then we failed, which is super unfair and unkind to yourself. People should, we all need to like readjust that. But anyways, so I was in great shape. Um, 
you know, a few months earlier about making the Olympic team, they came up with the uh, standard and it was sub to 1130, which was a huge jump from what it used to be. And everyone in the U.S., everyone all over the world freaked out and was like, well, I may be only a 213 guy, but that doesn't get me anywhere. So I guess I'm going to try to break 21130. It's like ride or die. You know, there was no mm-hmm. point. There was no point in running 212 anymore. You know, it was like, and so what happened in Chicago was there was so many of us. It's actually a really cool day. I ran 21053. I was close to top American. I missed it by like 10 seconds or 15 seconds. But um, I think it was like 10 guys broke 212. And the wow. year before, I think one guy broke 212 in the US. So it's so cool to see what happens when you're put into the, a corner and you have no other choice. So the US caught fire, the US man, we were on a whole new level. Um, and yeah, man, I had, it's pretty cool. I had um, ridiculous amounts of money, life-changing money on the line if I broke 211. And I only broke it by seven seconds, six seconds in a two something hour race. And so um, it was huge. And it was really scary a lot of the race because there was a lot of times where we were right on pace. There was a lot of times where we were, um, kind of falling off and I'm like, bro, we kind of need to get this going. There's some wind. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, I mean, it was a huge goal of mine too, but you know, I am a professional athlete. I, I, I do this for me, but I also do need to make a living and kind of before sub two eleven, uh, you know, I was in an okay situation, but, um, it wasn't great. You know, I was having to race a lot on weekends and travel around the country to make a few thousand dollars here and there to pay bills. Uh, and so breaking that to 11 by six, seven seconds uh, was life-changing. I mean, it was life-changing on the day. It was light. There was still tons of intangible money because now you move forward into your next contract and you're a great marathoner now and you've broken this record. So, um, you know, and I guess the last thing I'll say about it is I finally felt like I nailed the marathon, which as a kid growing up and a kid that was a specialist in the 5K at the University of Oregon – so many people never figure out the marathon. And so I just feel so grateful that like, if I retired today, I was successful at every event that I ran successful at every level. Um, and I'm super, you know, I mean, I would like to run faster, but 210 is no joke. Um, and I'm super proud that if I retire today, like that's on my resume. Um, Cause I, I worked really hard for it, but dude, it's the marathon. So many things can go wrong. You know, I, I was nervous that I was never going to get quite seize the, the opportunity. How much of that day do you attribute to, you know, your fitness was on point, your, you know, the conditions were right. You had a good squad that you were running with maybe. And then how much do you attribute it to just up here and like all the experience that you had from the previous races going into it? Uh, I attribute a ton of it mentally. Uh, I was in shape, like I said, all the time to run that. And I did Um, kind of a crazy story. I don't even know how to explain this, but um, yeah, I was in great shape and, I was like at mile four to five at Chicago and I had a great pack. We're on a good pace, but this was nuts, dude. This is pre COVID. I mean, the crowd was insane. Like I'm talking like three deep on these roads that you're running and we were right on pace, but I didn't quite feel right or something. And bro, I started to have a panic attack. I almost dropped out like right at five miles. The, the whole moment. And I had so much hype, bro. I was, I was on the start line. It was like Galen Rupp, Mo Farah, these two um, Kenyan guys that run two or four, they only had five people on TV on the whole start line, and I was one of them. So there was tons of hype that I was going to do something special, and I got to mile five, and I almost stepped off the course. 
And wow. physically, five miles into 26 miles is a joke. Like, there's nothing wrong physically at that point. And I don't know how or why I didn't, but something mentally held me on from dropping out. And uh, yeah, my, and I got out of the, my way and my body did what it needed to do. I got out of my way up here. Um, wow. But a lot of people think, you know, this, these special days just come easily to you. And that's not always true. Um, and I almost lost out on something really special that day. And I don't know why, and I don't know what I did to fix it. Um, but I know all my experiences in my life and all the help that I've gotten from sports psychs and, and people and, and a lot of the, all the failures I've had um, allowed me to ride out that scary panic patch. And then my fitness and my body said, Hey, we got you. Like, you're good. Don't worry about it. So that's wild. Had that ever happened to you before? Anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, it had, but, uh, it, the race went really poorly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't know, man. It was scary. Um, it was just so overwhelming, man. It was so every, it's just, you know, it's kind of like one of those things, like when everything goes right in a build and you're in the perfect situation, blah, 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 you have no excuses. And that's a lot. That's a lot for your heart and your head to take when you have no excuse not to go get what's yours and finally do what you want to do, a lot of people can't handle it. You know, it's easier to have an excuse and go get it done. Like, Oh, you know what? I missed some training. Oh, my hamstrings a little tight. You know, if it doesn't warm up, I'll drop out. And then what happens is your hamstring feels great. And you go, okay, cool. Like you kind of get like a free race kind of, but man, when everything's going right and everyone, and you're given interviews, like I'm ready to go and whatever, I mean, and you look in the mirror after the race and you go, man, I just, I'm just not good enough because you had no excuse. People can't handle that. Some people never can, you know, and that's why they don't get better because uh, they can't ask the tough questions. Um, they put it on to, oh, my training's not right. Like my, my coach didn't do this right. Or, you know, oh, I just had a bad day today. It's like, bro, like people that win Olympic gold medals are having bad days. Probably when they win the Olympic gold medals, sometimes like, look, I get it. I've had really bad days. You're allowed bad days. But like, if that becomes a pattern, like on every time you go to race, you just don't feel quite like yourself. Then you need to look at yourself um, and, and figure it out because, um, and, 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 and for you, you know, like, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm saying like, I feel bad for you because I've been in that situation too. So you need to ask a tough question and, work on yourself and you're going to have some great races if you do. So, yeah, that's, that's, it's wild to think. Like, I think we all probably know somebody who is, you know, an elite athlete, but they're just not clutch quote unquote, like they don't show up in big moments and it's hard to pinpoint something like that. But it sounds like you had spoken with a sports psychologist at one point. Did that help? What are some other things that you use to work through some of these things? Yeah, I've just been, I've just, I mean, dude, I, uh, I mean, I was in great shape one year and I got 240th out of 244th people at the University of Oregon at Nationals. Wow. And then the next season I ran the second fastest um, 5K in the country, like, like months later. And so the only way to, the only way to really look at that is go, hey, I'm a head case, you know, and I just embraced it. I, it hurts, right? And people are defensive, but I, it didn't hurt me. I was like, wait, I'm a head case now but I don't want to be a head case a year from now. So let's fix it. You know, wh whatever your problem is, just dive into it. It's okay. Like go get help, whatever, because I was way happier to embrace and say that I was a head case and not clutch 
to then go be clutch down the road instead of just like be afraid to say those words about myself. And I've had to deal with a lot of stuff in my personal life too, and just like own up to it and get help, you know? And like, I think running for that because I don't think I could do the things I've done in my personal life without the practice of being hard on myself and running. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've worked with tons of sports psychologists and, uh, yeah, I just want to be better, bro. Like it's okay to make mistakes, but it's just like, I, you know, it's fooled me once, right? Like, you know, you make a mistake. It's okay. And you go, that was weird. Try again. The same mistake happens. So it's like, dude, don't take it personally. Just like, just, just fix it. And yeah, I don't know. So I think that's a big reason why I'm still here and running well is because I haven't been afraid to take the resp- take the accountability for my failures. And, you know, and, and not all the time, sometimes the coaches and other people, um, sometimes the coaches and other people were um, something I need to look at, but um, you got to be willing to look at yourself too. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely still here. You're still running amazingly well. And so let's talk about your plan or initial thoughts about early retirement um, about your headspace at that time, you know, what races had you run? Maybe you hadn't performed as well as you would have liked. What were you thinking at that time? And then what kind of pulled you out of that, that darker headspace about feeling like you need to retire to say, no, I still got some left in the tank. I still love this sport. I still have a lot left to give. Yeah. So what was going on um, is I was actually in okay shape. I changed coaches and I changed, um, teams. So I was happy with that, but I got knee surgery and it had been about two years. Um, and it still wasn't better, bro. I had gotten like, since knee surgery, I'd still gotten multiple cortisone shots. I had gotten like evasive scraping with needles to clear scar tissue and stuff. And, um, I was just hurt all the time. And it was like, and not only hurt, just the anxiety, you know, I would have a good workout and I knew that, I was like, well, maybe I'm going to not be able to run again tomorrow. My knee is going to be blown up. And it was just like how there's no way to live, you know? And I lived like that for two years. And I think it would have been okay if I was balling out like in races and stuff, but I wasn't. So to like quite not get the results and then also not um, be enjoying the day to day and be afraid of getting injured. I was like, what am I still doing this for? And then I was thinking about my career running 210 American record. I was like, when is it going to be good enough? Like if I can't retire now, when is it going to be good enough? And, um, you know, it's kind of like the Batman quote. Um, I think it's Harvey Dent says it to Batman and they're at this dinner and, or whatever. And he just says, you either die a hero, you live long enough to become a villain. And it's just like, if I don't go out on my own terms and when it seems like it's time, then running is going to make that decision for me. And it's going to be like, okay, cool. For two years, Parker's done nothing besides, you know, run okay in races. And it's kind of sad because he used to be really good. And then it's like, I retire and everybody's like, yeah, that's good. It's like about time, you know, like, I don't want that. Like I want to retire having run well and just been like, I'm happy with what I've done and whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to like, I want to make the decision. I don't want other, other things too. So that's what was going on, man. And I was just flying back after this horrible race. I ran six minutes. It was hot, but I ran six minutes slower than my, my American record. And like, dude, that's just a different athlete. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just like, I don't have it. Um, and then I had a breakthrough with my knee, um, treatment. 
And it finally worked after two, two and a half years. And I just enjoy the day to day now again and enjoying the day to day. Now I've run three really good marathons. The first one was pretty dang good. The second one at Houston was the best marathon I've ever run. And then Ottawa was probably pretty close to about the same as my 210 in Chicago. So um, now I'm like on fire, bro. It's like, I want more. Now, now I'm like, I want another whole contract because to have been through everything I've been through and still now being better than ever, I know I'm here. I know I can be here for four more years and be better than ever. I know there's still some big performances because I've been performing with not a lot helping me. And now it's, now it's easy. Like now things are just coming to me. Um, and I want to get greedy, bro. I want more. Like, I feel like I finally, I mean, I've got, I've crushed three marathons in a row. And, and before that I had only crushed one out of like four. So I feel like I've really, really figured it out. And I think there's one or two like cool races I can showcase here still before I, before I'm done. So, yeah, I fucking love that. I can hear that, that fire and that passion in your voice when you're talking about it, which gets me fired up. Uh, So I'm curious just for selfish reasons. Um, I know what a marathon block looks like for me, but for you, you know, you don't have to get into super nitty gritty, but like about how far out do you start prepping um, for a race? Can you announce also your, your next race that you're planning on taking on and then kind of talk about how you're going to build out for that? Sure. Um, you know, it depends. Uh, it's nice to not get out of shape. You know, it's nice yes. to not take that break, but you do have to be a little bit careful with running the marathon. You can kind of mess up hormones if you don't take that downtime afterwards because it takes a lot out of you emotionally and physically. So my next race, this wasn't my plan originally, but um, it's going to be the Olympic trials in February. I, I wanted to race more, but I actually, you know, it's funny that we bring this up. I was on fire, but I'm dealing with some um, hormone problems right now, actually. Um, so it's been a tough last three months. Um, I basically feel like uh, if anyone's seen the movie Space Jam, I feel like the Monstars came in and just suck. I just feel like I don't have talent anymore. It's really weird. Like it feels different than being out of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm doing a lot better now. But because of that, I, I have to take my time. So my next race is going to be the Olympic Trials and. Um, I will start getting ready for that really intensely November uh, 1st. So about three months. Um, And that's really only 10 weeks because with the marathon, you need about a two week taper. Um, I'm not going to be in good shape on November 1st. So I'm going to have to do things differently. Normally I go into a marathon block in pretty good shape. So I don't know, bro. I'm going to have to do some really high risk training for the Olympic trials because 10 weeks is just like, that's a jumpstart boot, boot camp. You know, that's not, that's not enough time. So I'm going to have to do, take some risks. Um, and I'm going to have to try to take what's mine. I'm not going to just like be able to sit around and let things come to me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It might work out. Uh, or it might just be, end up being in okay shape. But, uh, you know, I like it because there's a lot of people in really good shape right now. And bro, what are you, what are you supposed to do with that? Like you're in shape like five months before the trials. What does that even mean? You know, like it's hard to stay on fire. It's hard to keep the passion. It's hard to keep um, healthy. And so honestly, I would rather be in my situation under trained and coming in super hot, super motivated and super intense um, 
than someone who's like, oh man, I've been in shape like all year. Like I got this, whatever. Um, I, I would prefer that, you know, I'm not saying it's going to work out. I'm just saying I'd rather be in that situation myself. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel like I've heard you talk about that before, how you prefer a relatively shorter block kind of going into it. And it, it sounds like it's because, again, like avoid kind of the burnout, um, obviously avoiding injury, anything else really for your preference on that shorter block going into a marathon? Dude, it, racing and blocks, everything is just about mastering momentum. I, I believe in it so much. Like I've seen so many athletes be in such good shape and they don't get it done. And it's because what happens is they're in shape for so long. Everything comes so easily to them. They forget that racing is always the hardest thing you're going to do. And it's because they don't have the right momentum. Like if you're on fire, everything's coming easy to you. You're doing best workout, best workout, best workout. Like you don't know how to deal with anything. Like you, you, you're soft. Like, honestly, it's, it's sad because like you, you have, you've conducted yourself like a professional every day and you you've earned a good race, but that doesn't work for me. I, I need the right momentum. So like, I just think a 10 week build, like a lot of it, you're, there's a huge sense of urgency. You're not really where you need to be. And though it usually happens to me, I catch fire right on time, like only for two to three weeks. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh my God. Okay. I think I can run a marathon again. Like Jesus, I was so scared. And then I take a little break and then I'm hungry to race, you know, uh, or not a break, a little taper. But when you do longer builds, it's kind of like you're just flying so high. There's nowhere to go, but down, you're just too high for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens in races too. Like you need to, ma- I always think about master your own momentum and you can control that. So um, you can set up your marathon to be the guy. You can be that guy in the last two miles passing all these people that were more fit than you, all these people that were ripping, man, they, they could have been five minutes in front of you, dude, at 20. You can be that guy that they look over and you're like high five in the crowd because you ran it right and you felt so good, you know? And it's like, you can control that. You really can. Um, and yeah, that's just what I believe in. And I, it starts, so that process of believing that in the race starts with believing it in the, um, the training block. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you've had probably countless coaches over the years, um, you know, and I'm going to speak to more of um, general knowledge, average runner not coming up in track and field and all of this. So we've heard so many things that work for a lot of people's like 80, 20, this and that um, do elite marathoners subscribe to 80, 20, just like an average runner does. And um, how many, you know, speed days and just get a little bit more granular into the breakdown of your week to week going into the marathon. 80-20 is just basically saying run 80% of your run slow in zone two, and then you're running 20%, you know, at at these higher threshold paces, essentially. Yes. I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I do really quick. Um, Now you have to be you have to be pretty trained to do this, but it'll give a, a decent um, layout of what I do. So yeah, let's just say I run a, I'll run a hundred miles a week. Okay. Um, in that week, I will have a five mile day uh, when I'm running a hundred, only five. I call it my movement is medicine day, super slow. I'm barely, it's almost like a yoga class for me. Like I can barely get, I'm so beat up, but I just go move whatever. So I'm running five miles a day, hundred percent taking easy. Then I have two days a week that are the big days. So yeah, probably about 20, um, 20%. Um, and I'm going to do week in, week out when I'm 
really fit. Like I said, I'm running probably a 20 to 21 mile a day um, with a huge workout in the morning and a six mile double in the evening to get 20, 21. And that's going to be my more speed workout day, right? Cause it's, I'm doing a six mile double to get 2021. 20, so it's like more speed. The other day of week, and this is weekend we got, I'm going to get like 24 to 26 and that's my long run day. But I'm then going to go run three or four shakeout in the evening. So I am a huge believer, like people overcomplicate it. Your body doesn't know anything, man. It doesn't know pace. It doesn't know these workouts. It doesn't know anything. All it knows is breaking it down, giving that stimulus and it trying to rally back to what you're doing. So I am huge, like modulation is everything to me. So, so hear me out. If I'm running a 21 mile day and a 25 mile day, but I'm only running hundred miles a week, what does that tell you? That's almost 50 miles in two days. What does that tell you? Every other day are recovery days, little time on feet day, the, eight, the 80 days you're talking about. So I got my five mile day, my two massive days. And then the other days are like, 12 mile time on feet runs, no double. I don't do doubles. I don't do anything because I'm prioritizing recovery, but I'm also prioritizing a 12 mile run because it's the marathon and you need that time out there of metabolizing. You know, I'm going 90 minutes every time. So it's like you're breaking down, you're using fuel. Um, that's my training, man. That's it. It's super simple. Two massive days and then one five mile day to make sure you don't get hurt from the massive days because you will get hurt if you do not do that day. Um, hundred percent. And speak to a little bit on the recovery side. When you say recovery days, I'm assuming you're talking about, you know, yeah, you're taking these slow runs as a recovery run, but you're probably also doing some active recovery. So anything in particular that works really well for you? Yeah. You know, one thing I want to say too, actually, because people won't even believe it, but it will help them with their own training. So I'm running 26 miles, five flat or 459. That's a fact. Okay. I'm running my easy runs at 730 to seven minute pace. I'm running two minutes to two and a half minutes slower. And I almost promise you that none of y'all are doing that. There's no way. None of y'all are running two minutes plus slower than your marathon pace. And you should be because that's what, that's what we're doing. Because it's going to allow you to then go run harder in those workouts. So I did want to emphasize that. Um, other things I do, um, big Epsom salt bath guy. I used to be really into ice baths all the time. But I'll be totally honest. Um, just as I've gotten older, I don't like to do them and they suck. And so I just don't do them <laughs> like that. I, yeah, I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I feel, but I feel like Epsom salt baths offer the same, um, help and I enjoy it. You know, it feels nice instead of just like, enough, it's just hard to always push, you know, you push through your workout, you push through waking up early, you push through the gym. Now it's like, I got to push through an ice bath. It's just like, bro, I need a break. So yeah. it's nice to, to do an Epsom salt bath. Um, oh, uh, you know, in a weird way, the way I lift, I think is recovery in a strange way. I lift really heavy um, and short reps. And as a marathoner, I'm always breaking myself down. And when I go into the gym and lift heavy, I'm exhausted when I go in and when I leave, I'm fired up. I, I can feel that testosterone and HGH being released. And in an odd way, it, it feels recovery-esque. Like I feel hmm. good on my next run from challenging my body in a, in a different way. Interesting. Very interesting. And that was actually going to be my next question was like, how often are you incorporating weight training, if any? Uh, twice a week. And now hear me out. I'm not, I mean, 
y'all weight train how I marathon train, you know, like you guys are, I'm not doing like that, that. So that's not going to work for everybody. Cause I can see, you know, like you're saying interesting in it because it's like, there's a little disconnect, but it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not lifting like y'all are, but sure. I, I am lifting heavy for me on a few things and I'm probably just doing just enough that I feel like explosive and energized out of it. But am I doing enough that I'm like, making gains and strength and like changing my buildup. No, probably not. Um, so that, but I, so that's probably how I use it for recovery. And I only do it twice a week. Um, I either do it on the hard day or the day after on um, the hard day. Ideally the hard day is pretty good, but when you're running 20 miles, I mean, what are you supposed to do, man? Like 20 something miles and lift. It's just like, if you're a robot that works, but it's yeah. like, if you're it's a, a human beast. being, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to do all that all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, heavy question for you. Has there ever, ever been a time when you didn't love running, when you kind of fell out of love with it? Yeah, dude, uh, probably like two days ago, I was supposed to run and I didn't run, honestly, <laughs> straight up. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I love running. It's not like I hate it or something, but um, you just sacrifice so much. And I think when you're new to it, it's easy. You know, you're so excited. But once again, just to whatever, like I've been running for 20 years. I've given up a lot um, and I've gotten a lot from it. But, um, yeah, it takes a lot, dude. You know, it's, uh, and it hurts really, really bad when you miss out on life and relationship experiences and you don't get that race. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, so I love running, but as I've gotten older, I've tried to get a balance of like making sure I keep loving it by just being like, you know what, man? You know, you want to go to this wedding with, with your girlfriend in Santa Barbara and your workout's not going to be that good, whatever. Like, that's probably more important than, than your workout at this point, <laughs> you know. Um, now, if I'm in the last 10 weeks, 12 weeks before the Olympic trials, that's different. But, you know, I used to be a year-round guy. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to prove myself that I want it year-round, year-round, year-round. And no other sports like that, you know. Um, and I don't know why runners treat it that way because no other – millions of millions of dollars sports and athletes train like that. So I've tried to adjust because it does make you feel uh, resentful of running, you know? I'm glad you brought that up too, because there are a lot of polarizing figures out there. Nothing wrong with it, but they are polarizing and they're being seen that run like hundred mile weeks. You know, they have weeks and weeks of streaks of running hundred mile weeks and everything. And it kind of like, yeah, if you don't have any knowledge, like you just think, oh, that's what I need to strive for, maybe. And it's just not maybe sustainable. Um, and also, it's not a good place probably mentally to go either for the average person. Now, for somebody like Andy Glaze, he fucking loves it. He eats it up, yeah. right? But yeah. like for the average person, you know, that's that's a lot of time on feet. And it's a lot of time away from family and like other things that maybe, as you, as you spoke to, are more important. They're not – they're um... – and also just like, it's, it's about racing, you know, like, I don't know, like, can you imagine if this was some other sport and be like, oh man, that guy kills himself. I practice every day in the NFL. Like he's, he kills him. He kills himself over and over again. What a beast. And he like never scores a touchdown. Like you would, <laughs> you would get fired, you know, like what? Like, I mean, it's cool to run hundred mile weeks and stuff. If that's what you want to do and it makes you happy. Like, I don't want to like whatever, but yeah. I mean, it, racing to me is the reward and whatever. And like, bro, I've barely broken a hundred mile weeks in, in 
like the last 18 months. Like I, I mean, if I'm not doing that, I don't feel like it's necessary. You know, I, when I broke an American record, I was probably running 85, 90 miles a week. When I ran um, my best marathon ever at uh, Houston, I was probably running 95, a hundred, you know, I think you just need the big days and like, and then enjoy life the other days, like crush it two days a week and, you know, go drink to a happy hour and do some fun stuff. The other days, it's not like, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's all just stimulus. Like we said, like your body is just responding to what you're doing. And if you're running, and also here's a, here's a weird thought. If you run hundred miles a week, year round, whatever, your body's bored. Like it's used to it. Like it, it's stale. Like it's, it's like, you're probably going to get hurt and you're actually probably not getting as much better as you think because you've done it so many times. So like you should challenge yourself and run 60 miles a week and do like some really fast speed workouts instead. Like, honestly, um, now if you run hundred mile weeks for, you know, three months, like that's a great stimulus. Like that's, that's good. You know, that's going to get you better. But, um, I think people just get really obsessed with checking all these boxes and training and forget that like you still have to want it and be on, on the race. Like just cause you wanted it every day for three months before the race, if you don't want it in that moment, on race day, then nothing's owed to you and you're going to be really disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, I do follow a lot more, uh, ultra runners probably than, than, you know, maybe you're yeah. familiar with. So they're, I mean, they're they doing a do lot that. more volume. I, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna criticize or judge whatever they're doing. Cause I don't know a, a single thing about that, that, um, endeavor. So, yeah. um, so yeah, last question I have for you. And again, it's a little bit selfish for me, but also my audience and, one of the big ones that you mentioned that I took away was um, even speaking to on your slow days, like you're, you know, on your fast days, you're doing five minute miles and you're running, you know, seven to seven thirty on your slow day. So significant difference there um, for the average individual, you know, maybe above average people like me that are running, you know, working towards sub three, yeah, yeah, yeah. working towards stuff like that. What are, you know, some of the things that maybe um, you, you've seen that, we could work on, um, individually just to whether it's mindset or whether it's incorporating into training of something maybe simple that we could all implement that maybe we're, we're unaware of, or that you guys at the more elite level are taking into consideration. Any other things kind of like along those lines that, that kind of come to mind when I ask that? Yeah. You know, the first thing I thought about was trying to like coach a little bit and give some tips. I might do that a little bit, but what, honestly, what I would probably just say is like, do a little research I think all y'all should just hire a coach because for the biggest thing is like, it's, I don't know what the deal is. It's kind of sad. It's not valued. A running coach is the cheapest investment ever, dude. It's like, it's like a hundred dollars, $150 a month. I know people that are Olympians and NCAA champions that are coaching people for $150 a month and they will message you back. It's not even just a training plan. They will, they will talk to you, help you out. So I could give you a bunch of advice and little hacks, but honestly, the best hack I will give you is pay $150. Do it for six months, man. I mean, y'all all buying the best watches. You're buying the best shoes. You're, you got your gym memberships. You won't even notice it. $150 a month for six months, and they will mentor you. They will tell you everything that I could tell you right now anyways, and you you will get better. There is no way, in my, my opinion. Um, so that would be, like I said, I wanted to dive in and maybe say a few things, but I think that's the best advice I can tell you. The other thing that I would say, what I already have said, I'll, I'll give one piece in case people don't want to get a running coach is I just really, really believe in it. 
is the modulation, the modulation of, of training. Um, slow days, slow, hard days, hard. Um, I don't know. That's all it is, man. <laughs> that's really all it is. So the harder you can push yourself on your hard days, the more stimulus you're going to get. And the better you recover on your recovery days, the more you're going to let that workout not only sit in from what you just did, but set up the next one. Um, yeah. So yeah, I hope that helps people. Um, and I know it sounds simple, but I know people right now that are my age that have been running a long time, they still don't do that. You know, I think it's an, I think it's, they're afraid. I think people are afraid that if they don't try hard every day, they won't get better. And that's not true. It's making the most of the right days is what's more important. So absolutely. Absolutely. I, so I signed up for a hundred mile race before I ever did a marathon before I did anything. Um, oh best, best thing I ever did, dude, hired a coach right away, man. I, I hired my coach Casey. She's been on the pod, but like, I was just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I realized how fucking stupid I was training. I just <laughs> didn't know anything, right? I didn't well, know about hydration fueling. So yeah. for, for her coming in and just to be able to guide me through that and be like, okay, this is how we do things in this, in this space. Like it was 100%. mind blowing from where no, I was coming from. I get from. it though. I get it, bro. It's running, you know, it's the most simplest thing of all time. I mean, that's why one, we love it. That's why someone who's an Olympic gold medalist in running is truly the best in the world because anyone can do it. There's no barrier to entry, really. Um, once you get, you know, even people that don't have a good opportunity, once they get good enough, they get supported. But the 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 thing is, like, no, I I mean, I totally get where you're coming from because you know when people ask me, oh, what do I do? Like friends or like acquaintances? But no, I'm a professional runner. Like, I don't get it. Like, what do you mean? You know what? Like, don't you just so you just run, right? And it's like there's so much that goes. There's so much science and everything that goes into it but we take it for granted. So, I mean, everyone does that. So it's not just you or, or anyone else listening to the pod. It's a pretty normal thing to be like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll just run more. If I just run more, I'll get better. And you will, but you'll eventually um, become stagnant. Yeah. Or injure the fuck out of yourself probably. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Even worse. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I, I think that's a great place to wrap. Parker, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Beautiful insights. Um, great story, man. I appreciate your time. So um, thank you. And if you could just share your IG and wherever else you'd like people to connect with you if they want to reach out. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for thinking of me. And um, yeah, it was always fun to talk and meet new people. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some cool videos on YouTube. If you look me up, that's like some workouts and some cool interviews, but mainly all I do is I'm not even on Twitter. I just do, um, Instagram. So I'm underscore Parker underscore Stinson underscore. Uh, I wish I could change that name. Uh, I can't. So that's what I'm stuck with. Cool brother. Well, cool. Appreciate your time. Uh, and thank you. Yeah. Thanks bro. Yes, sir.